0: And I want to talk to you about seeds today, because seeds are an important part of the journey. In fact, in Norway, there is supposedly uh, a place that holds every seed on planet Earth. In case of a disaster, they can go there and they can replant the world. But I want you to know the Word of God is a seed in your heart. It's something planted that if you plant it and you water it, it'll give forth much fruit in your life. We've begun this series with this scripture. We're going to keep doing it. I think most of you know it by now. It's Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. It says faith, say it with me, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So how do I increase in faith? I increase in faith by simply reading the word of God. It doesn't even say that you have to understand everything in that scripture. It just simply says faith comes by hearing. When I hear the word of God, my faith grows. And the more word of God I read, the more my faith will grow. And a lot of people, they want to increase their faith by saying, I just kind of want to work up some faith. I, I want to, you know, just hope for more faith. I want to pray for more faith. And God gave you the answer from the very beginning. He said faith comes by hearing and hearing by The Word of God. I sat down and I wrote this, and I want to just read it to you. I normally don't read stuff like this, but I think it says it better. You know, like Francis Bacon, that medieval writer, said, he said, my my pen is wiser than my tongue. All right? So listen to what I I wrote about the Word of God. The Word of God is settled in heaven. There is no debate among the heavenly host to attend to the Almighty. The Word of God is a true expression of his character, his power, and his wisdom. He has founded it upon the seas and established it on the earth. His glory, like his word, has gone throughout the world. There is nowhere it is not heard, seen, or felt. Like a small voice that whispers in the stillness of the morning, so is his word. The word comes from the mouth of God, he utters it from his celestial throne. The foundations of the universe shudder at the magnitude of his power and his authority. His word goes forth to accomplish all that he intends, and it does not return void. The flower fades, the grass may wither, but the word of God abides forever. Amen? In the book of Isaiah, chapter 55 and verse 10, the word reads like this, for as the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower. Now I want to just pause right there. We're going to keep reading the scripture in a minute, but I want to just pause right there. If you look at verse one, for as the rain comes down, one of the most important words when you're reading your Bible is the word as and like because it's teaching you something. Okay, I can relate to rain coming down, snow coming down. I relate to that. Not that we have either one of those right now in California, but I, but I understand what that means. But it doesn't go back to where it came. And so it is without changing the earth and the environment it's in. And one of the changes here, it says it makes it uh, bring forth and bud. You know, one of the most beautiful things is when it actually rains around here, and you drive down the 241, and you see it just bursting with life and energy. And every time I drive down there, I'm reminded of Isaiah 55, because it's because of that watering. And when you water yourself with the word of God, it's your life bursts forth with the same energy and even more, to bring forth more. And notice what he says. But water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower. You see, without that life coming, there is nothing to plant. And so the idea is that when I plant, I get, it brings forth more than what I started with and bread to the eater. So what's the end result? I don't plant just to plant. I plant in order to receive. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. You see, when you sow, anything you sow, it will operate by the law of the harvest. If you sow love, it's going it's to reap back love. Now, not every person's going to love you because you love them. But as a general principle, not every seed that falls on the ground is going to give forth life. Some are going to be eaten by the birds. Some are going to be strangled out by the weeds. Some are going to be in shallow soil. But 25% of them, the parable says, will bring forth fruit, some 64, fold some 80-fold, some 100-fold. Now, think about that. And it says, so, that, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. So God says, when, when I speak and you read his word, it's going to bring forth in your life more seed, more life, that you can then plant it again. Uh, many years ago, they, they came across some seeds that were planted in one of the great pyramids. And though as tempting as it was to plant them all and see what would happen, they took only a couple of seeds and they planted it. And they found out that even though those were thousands of years old, they still brought forth life. You see, it doesn't matter how long ago you read the word of God, it's bringing forth life in your life today. And you plant more seed and it's going to bring forth more life. And it says here, it shall not return to me void. In other words, when I say something, it's going to accomplish what I said it's going to accomplish. For example, if if we read in that same chapter of chapter 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, here's the promise. You will be saved. See the promise? See the promise? So the promise is always there, it will not return void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing in which I sent it. Now, notice what it says. Not only is it going to bring forth, it's gonna prosper in the way. You know, one time when my kids were little, our kids were little, I I got some Indian corn, and I was gonna teach them what a great farmer I was. Well, unfortunately, I wasn't that great a farmer, and it only brought forth one ear that was about six inches long. And, uh, and I, I was kind of the joke of the farming community, meaning my family. And, uh, and yet then I was, look, I still have that little ear of corn at home. And I was looking at it one day and I thought, you know, I planted about 10 seeds and I counted the number of seeds on that little bitty ear of corn and there was over 90 seeds on that little ear of corn. And I said, even a bad farmer, when he taps in to the law of the harvest, can yield fruit. Isn't that good news? So you might feel like a bad farmer. You say, I'm not much of a farmer. I'm not much of a Christian. I, I don't know what I'm doing half the time. Just keep planting seed. Just keep planting seed. Can you say, I'm going to plant some seed? Amen. Now, Joel chapter 2 and verse 24 says this. The threshing floors shall be full of wheat, and the vat shall overflow with new wine and oil. Now, there's a promise. Here's what he says. He says, the place where you separate the wheat from the chaff, they're going to be full. And then the vat shall overflow with new wine for you. And you say, but well, you don't know my situation. I mean, right now, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I'm looking for a job. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I venture to say everybody in this room has experienced that from time to time. If you haven't, you need a good round of it. Amen. Now, why do I say that? It is because there's something about uh, about shortage that helps us to appreciate abundance. And if you've been without, you know, number one, you know you don't like it. But number two, you have to find the avenue for success. You know, the Bible says in all work, there is profit. But there's also this divine law of the harvest that when I plant, I reap. In fact, Joel goes on to say in that same chapter, chapter two, he says, I know that you've suffered. I know you've done without. I know there's been problems. I know there's been setbacks. I know there's been times where you had greater abundance. And so here's what he says. I'm gonna restore something to you. Look what he says. I restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust. Now, you know, when I read that, I thought, wouldn't it just be enough to say locust? But he goes into some detail here, and he says, now the swarming locust. Well, you know, that to me is fear. If you've ever seen locusts fly and they swarm together, sometimes they say they can be as many as 10 to 20 million locusts in one swarm. If that doesn't frighten you, I don't know what will, especially if you find yourself close to the edge of that swarming locust. And it's like our problems. Sometimes our problems, they're, they're not as big as we think they are, but they're swarming around us, and they, they bring fear, not reality. That's why the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Because he wants us to understand that the swarming locusts don't worry about what they're doing. And then he talks about the crawling locust. I had, uh, the other day, I had our front door open, and a gecko came in. Have you ever tried to catch a gecko in your house? I had a broom, and I was going to swat it, sweep it. I didn't care what. The gecko was out. I'm here to report the gecko one. I don't know where it is. It's in the house somewhere. <laughs> It'll probably crawl across my back in the middle of the night, and I will then be experiencing the swarming locust fear. But there's the crawling locust, things that just kind of crawl around. They're just slow-moving. You don't know what you're going to do about them. And then there's the consuming locust. This is like inflation. These are the things that that eat up everything you have. You say, I don't have anything left. What am I going to do? Now you know, we found a gas station the other day that had gas in the $4 range. I'm not telling you where it is because you'll go over there and hijack it and then we'll run out of gas. (laughs) Then there's the chewing locust. The chewing locust. How many of you, I'm not gonna, I don't want you to raise your hand. How many of you ever chewed tobacco? You know, a lot of you guys play baseball. You chewed tobacco when you were young. And, you know, have you ever just watched a guy chew? My first church, I had a guy named Brother Lee. And Brother Lee was, he just was against everything. And I was at his house one day, and I said, Brother Lee, I was asking him certain things, and he'd think about it. and And he had a, I was sitting here, and he was over there, and he had a spittoon right next to me. And when Brother Lee got ready to spit, it would come... This is like the flying loogie. You know what I'm talking about? And Brother Lee would spit, and it would come over, and it would hit that spittoon every time. You know, I learned not to sit there anymore. You know, you never know when you're going to get hit by one of those. Right? And, And you think about it, sometimes... You know, some very odd things happen in your world, and, and Brother Lee was one of those things. And Brother Lee didn't understand this principle of what you sow, you reap. And, and he began to, to gripe about, there were some kids that were spinning their tires outside. You know, and he said, those, they're probably on alcohol, you know. And, and uh, then he grabbed Dr. Tishner's mouthwash. Anybody familiar with this? It's 80 proof, I'm not lying, mouthwash. And he took a little swig of it to get the chewing tobacco out, swished around, and then swallowed. <laughs> Nobody ever thought you'd learn this at church, did you? <laughs> you see, but he sat there and chew, and chew, and chew, and chew, and chew. And I'm sitting there thinking, keep chewing, don't spit, keep chewing. But see, there's some things in your life they are just chewing away, chewing away, chewing away. He says, you know what? That's my great army. Do you realize there are times where God sends the swarming, the crawling, the consuming, the chewing locust for a purpose? God has odd ways of getting us back to him. Have you ever noticed that? And, And I've found that most of them aren't comfortable. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever seen something go really wrong in somebody's life and your prayer was, God, whatever I need to do to get to make that not happen to me, I want to yield to you? Have you ever done that? If you haven't, you, you need to start. Because I know God hears that prayer because I'm telling you like, oh God, I, I'm, I'm straightening up right now. We used to say about our kids, you know, they, they, that we just needed to whip them every 30 days whether they needed it or not. Because it brought the fear of God in them, they said, "What are we getting spanked? Nothing. You guys have been great. Just want to make sure you stay that way." <laughs> I guess that was a day where you could do that. I, I've understood that that's not the, in, in sync today. But anyway, but your faith, your faith that you have, it must be released. It must be released. You can't hold on to faith. I have great faith. Well, what are you doing with it? Let me ask you something. What are you believing God for? When I ask you that question, you should be able to tell me what you're believing God for. And it's such a thing that you can't do it by your ingenuity, by your wealth, by your friendships, by your associations, by anything else. What are you believing God for? And the only explanation of it will be your faith in God, who God who moves to make that thing happen. See, faith is calling those things which are not as though they are. It's saying it's so when it's not so in order for it to be so. It's walking on the borderline of disaster. If God doesn't come through, then you're a fool for believing him. Faith is a scary thing. That's why most people, when they have faith, and they're believing God for something. They don't tell anybody because they're not convinced it's gonna happen. And they don't want people to keep asking them, how's that coming? The best thing for you to do is when you believe God for something, tell as many people as you can because that strengthens your faith. You say, well, what if God doesn't come through? Well, that's not his problem. That's your problem. You go back and believe God. There's been many times where I've told people, I just believe God's doing this, and, and he didn't do it. And people say, what happened? I don't know. Either it wasn't his will somewhere, I thought it was, or I short-circuited it along the way. But I'm never going to stop just being courageous and, and, you know, top 10 dumb things I believe God for, he said no to. I'm just going to keep going. Amen? Now, look what Zechariah 8, uh, verse 12 says. The seed shall be prosperous. Doesn't say it might be. Well, the seed might work. No, he says it shall be prosperous. The vine shall give its fruit, the ground shall give her increase, and the heavens shall give their due. God says, I put something in place, I put these divine laws in place. There's no mother nature. I just want you all to be assured there's no mother nature. There's only God of the heavens. Amen? He is the maker of the earth and the universe and all things. He is before all things, and in him all things exist. And he says the seed shall be prosperous. God, I'm going to plant this seed. I believe that you're going to prosper me in this. The vine, it's going to give fruit. The ground is going to give increase, and the heavens are going to bring forth the dew. They're going to water it. Go to Haggai chapter two and verse 19. Is the seed still in the barn? Now this is a question he's asking. Why are you storing up seed in the barn? You can't see an increase if you store it in the barn. See, so many people worry about the rainy day that they haven't thought about today. What if the rainy day never comes? What if you lost all that that you could have done there was a book that was written a number of years ago by a, by a Jewish accountant in New York. It was called Die Broke. Can any of you relate to that? Die Broke. And it's such an intriguing title that I, I bought it, and I, I've recommended it to many, many people, but it's actually built around a philosophy. It was, it was built around the philosophy of Rockefeller, or, or Carnegie, rather. Carnegie, the steel magnet. And he said, here's what I want to do. I want to die broke. I want to spend everything I have while I'm living and I don't want to leave any inheritance to my children. You say, well, the children are going, that doesn't sound good. But here, let me explain. He said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to share my wealth with my children, my friends, and my community while I'm living so I can enjoy it, I can watch them enjoy it, and they can can benefit. Now, Carnegie built Carnegie Hall. He built New York Public Library. Almost every major library in America he built. He thought he would live to be about 65. He ended up dying a little short of that and still had about 30 million left in tax-free money. So he missed it by a little bit. But what would happen if you would say, forget the barns, I need to invest in things that are going to give forth life while I'm here and alive? Another one was quit your job, another philosophy in the book. You said quit your job. Yeah, quit your job. And the idea was not literally turning your resignation. It was quit relying on your job to give you all your purpose in life. Find your purpose in God. Find your purpose in something bigger than your job. That way, when you quit your job or you lose your job, you haven't lost your purpose. Isn't that good? Now you want to buy the book, don't you? I don't get a commission. I don't even know if it's still in print. I just want to tell you about it, all right? All right, now, so Haggai says, is the seed still in the barn? He's asking, he's asking this question with the idea why is it still in the barn? As yet, the vine, the fig, and the pomegranate and the olive have not yielded fruit. In other words, none of those can yield fruit while it's in the barn. But from this day, I will bless you. In other words, he's saying, if you'll start sowing, you're gonna start reaping, Amen. Second Corinthians chapter nine, I love this scripture. It says, He that is God supplies seed to the sower. Do you know everything I have is from him? I typically at several times a a week I'll walk outside, I'll walk around, just thank God for what I have. Every day, I go up to a window on our second floor, and I thank God for what we have, and I pray for our family, and I pray for our church, and I pray for our nation. That's a daily, but sometimes I go outside, and I walk around, and I just thank God, this is all yours. You see, if it's his, I don't have to worry about it as much as if it's mine. Amen? All right, he says here, uh, I'm gonna provide seed to the sower, bread for food, and supply and multiply the seed. You see, seed is meant to multiply. In the kingdom of God, God uses multiplication more than addition. And it says, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Do you know that when I'm faithful to do what God says and he increases the fruit of righteousness in my life? Anybody here perfect? If you are, you're dismissed. We're not perfect. We're all just, you know, there's the ideal in Scripture. The ideal is don't sin. But the real is we will, right? All right, so we don't give up the ideal, but we, we accommodate the real. And so here's what it says in Scripture. My little children, I write that you sin not. That's the ideal, right? But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. See how the Bible's set up? Don't lower the standard, raise the standard, but when you mess up, God's there for you. Amen? Isn't that good news? All right, now, it says, uh, and multiply the seed that you have sown. So you only multi- it only multiplies if you sow it, and increase the fruit of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything, everything, for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. So God just keeps reminding us of this principle of sowing and how, how valuable that can be. Um, I asked my wife this, this week, I said, do you think faith is a courageous act? And your initial response might be yes, but then you want to think about it. But I think it's a courageous act. I think when you say, I'm going to see God do something, not only are you, you, you just kind of tapping into the heart of God, but you're saying something pretty courageous, you're going to say, I I believe God's going to do something. Lester Summerall was a a writer and speaker many years ago, and he said this about champions. He said, champions are a rare breed. They see beyond the dangers, the risks, the obstacles, and the hardships. I don't know about you, but I want to be a champion. I want to see beyond the danger I, I want to see beyond the risk. I want to see beyond the obstacle. I want to see beyond the hardship, and I want to see God come through in our life. Amen? Yes. Amen? Yes. Amen. You see, faith generates a force, a power, and an influence. Have you ever been around anybody of faith? They just, it just feels different, doesn't it? You know, you might think they're crazy, but you know it feels different. What's God doing? I just believe God's gonna do this. And you're going, wow, that, that guy, I think he's a little, you know, a little crazy. Faith injects the supernatural into the natural. Easy to live in the natural world, but faith interjects the supernatural into the natural world. Faith, what does it do? It saves souls. It heals sick bodies, casts out demons, and provides for our needs. This is what faith does. You stop and think about, this is what faith does. Faith can influence the weather, change the heart of a wayward child, stand strong in the storm. It's faith. The Bible says, he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith, Hebrews 11 says, it's impossible to please God. You see, God is, he loves your obedience, he loves your heart, he loves all those things, but if you really wanna please God, you you please him with faith. I just believe God. How's it gonna work out? I don't have a clue. Most of the things that I trust God for, I don't have a clue. Most of the things I trust God for, I think I'm crazy. But I'm just gonna press into it with the courage of faith. Amen? Courage of faith. Winston Churchill said courage is the foundation of every character quality. Without it, all the others become meaningless. Interesting comment. You see, the courage of faith does not yield to pressure. It stands when others fold. What's going to keep you going when things get tough? It's going to be faith. Faith. What's gonna make you say yes when others are saying no? It's gonna be faith. What's gonna set you apart from most? It's gonna be faith. Faith in God. It's not subjective faith, it's objective faith. The object of our faith is God himself. And his word is the inspiration from God that is the breath of God for us. You see, only you can determine if you will exercise faith. You can, nobody you can't tap into somebody else's faith. You got to have your own faith. What are you believing God for? What are you trusting God for? You should write it down. You should pray about it. You should think about it. You should meditate on it. You should let it be a part of your life. And I'll tell you this, if it's not of God, he'll show you. You know what prayer does? It's a it has a self-purifying element to it. What does that mean? That means if I pray for the long, the wrong thing long enough, I'll quit praying for it. Just test me in this. Go home and start praying for a Rolls Royce. God, I just need a Rolls Royce so bad. I'm so, so tired of my little Ford. Just see what God says. Now, if next Sunday, there's 10 Rolls Royces in the parking lot, I'm going to be proven wrong. But I, I use that only as an illustration. Whatever is really not in sync with God, if you keep praying, God will purify that request and give you clarity in what you're doing. But here's a statement that I'd like to make. Stop looking at where you have been and start looking where you can be. So many people look back, say, well, I tried that. I believed God and God didn't come through. Just leave it alone. Where can you be from this point? What's the future look like? What's today look like? Start trusting God for today and the future instead of moaning about what didn't happen in the past. Amen? I mean, you see, God is a present God. He's, he d- revealed himself to Moses as I am, present tense. Not I was. I was the God that used to come through for you, but I'm not anymore. No, he said I am. Every day he's present tense. Every day he's in your life, every day he's looking. In fact, Jesus said this, he said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? In other words, will you exemplify faith in your life? Paul said this in Philippians three. He said, "Forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto the things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus." Regardless how many great things Paul had accomplished in his in his past, he said, "I got to look. I got to reach for the goal." of the upward calling in Christ Jesus. Because you know what? He understood this principle that Jesus said. He said in Matthew 19, 26, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Amen? All things are possible. Are you ready to see the impossible in your life? Four of you are. Are you ready to see the impossible? Huh? Why not? you say, "Well, I'd rather believe God for the, you know, for nothing." Well, that's encouraging. If you don't believe Him for the impossible, what do you believe in Him for? The possible, you can do that. I'm just praying this service gets over on time. Well, it's too late. That prayer didn't work. Amen. Believe God for the impossible. You, what is God? What are you believing God for? Write it down. Get it in your head. Put it in your phone, put it on a piece of paper, put it before you, and begin to just look into the heart, the mind of God, and say, God, if this is not of you, you show me, but right now, I'm stuck on this plan right now for you, with you, amen? Let's stand together. Bow your head, and I want you just to to seek God right now in what he wants you to do, and what he wants you to believe him for. All right, as you've got your heads bowed, I want you to repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you for the impossible or for the thing that you will reveal to be impossible. Right now, I I don't have clarity, but I want clarity. My faith might be small, but I want great faith. Can you say great faith? Amen. Amen. Now, in Jesus' name, just give that to him. Would you just give it to him right now? Jesus, I give you this. I give it to you. I put it in your hand, in your lap. I want you to do the impossible in my life and give glory unto God. Amen.